friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Jonathan, I'm one of the pastors here and super excited to share God's word with you. So if you have your Bible or if you have the Bible in front of you, open in Numbers chapter 15 as we um, enter in to God's word. I forgot to say there was probably a slide. I forgot to mention giving. So please, as you consider uh, your giving, consider Skyline. There's lots of ways you can give. Text message, drop a check. We've got boxes around this room. If you drop cash into those boxes, we take that money, we collect it, and we meet needs around our city of people who are outside of our church. It's just a great way to do benevolence from our excess, um, which is really fun to do. So do that as well. Numbers 15, if you've turned there, your sword drill. Numbers 15, verse 37. We're going to start in the Old Testament before we get to Jesus, because we need some context this morning for our story out of Luke 8, what's happening there. So the Lord says to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own eyes and hearts. I love, one of the things I love about Judaism and love about the study of the Hebrew Bible is how much God gave the Israelites concrete things to hold on to to touch, to feel, to see, to remind them of the things he wanted them to do. And so they, they had these, these um, garments, on their garments, they put tassels on the corners. Then you will remember to obey all my commands, and you will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So this, this passage is referring to the edge of the garments. Now, the, the garment of Jesus' day, it's likely it would have looked different, but it developed into, in Judaism, what is, is called, the, it's called the talit, which is a prayer shawl. And see here, you've got on the corner of this prayer shawl, this is an interesting one because this is a Messianic Jewish prayer shawl, so this has some other stuff on it, uh, writings, but do you see the blue cord? Can you see that there? These tassels, ever since this command, Jews have been wearing these tassels on the edges of their garment. These tassels are called tzitzit. Everybody say tzitzit. Say it one more time. Say it five times fast. T-Z-I, T-Z-I, that's tzitzit, the edge of this garment is called the kanaf. It's called the edge or the corner, the hem is how it's translated, or the wing of the garment. And on these, it's really fascinating. There's four spaces on here. The four spaces refer to the four letters of God's revealed name, which is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, or some people would Y-H-V-H. There's five knots on here. The five knots represent the five books of Moses. And along the prayer shawl edges, they use exactly 613 strings, which represent the 613 laws of the Torah. 
So an observant Jew will wear these, and you'll see this today. If you go to New York City, if you fly to Israel, you'll see, especially Hasidic Jews, will wear these under their jackets. And these tassels will come out the corner of their sleeves. And you can see them a lot of times, they'll just be kind of working with them like this. And so this is really fascinating. And this is all stuff I didn't make up, nor did I discover. Uh, A guy named Ray Vanderland is a guy I follow quite closely. I went to Israel with his group. And it's fascinating. So they they would wear these, and when they pray, they have this prayer shawl to remind them of the promises of God, of the commandments which are tied to the covenant, which the covenant is a promise. The covenant is a promise. So as you pray, you'd be reminded of God's faithfulness. And sometimes when they would pray, they would do this. They'd put this over their head and they'd do like this. You know what this is called? The prayer closet. Jesus says when you go into your closet and pray, guess what? First century Jews did not have closets. They're square footage was a little different than ours. You didn't even have a bedroom, much less a closet. So this is how you'd pray, which is funny because they said John Wesley's mom, I think, did she have 11 kids, Annie? Was that 13? John Wesley's mom would, would, uh, she would take her, her apron and throw it over her head. And when her kids saw her with her apron over her head, they knew that she was praying and they knew to leave her alone. (laughs) So they said just during the middle of the day, she would just toss her apron over her head and that's how she prayed. So this prayer shawl is something that Jesus, this is really key, as an observant Jew, as a faithful Jew, as the Messiah who this says fulfilled every iota, every tiniest command of the law was fulfilled in and by Jesus, he would have worn tassels on the edge of his garment. So, that sets the stage. I'm going to set this somewhere where we can see it. I don't know where to set it where it won't cause the least distraction. I'm going to go right here. Is that okay, Chelsea? Can you guys still see me a little bit? There we go. Not that you love seeing me, but you're you're like, no, pull it over. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so... this This finds us in this place where these tassels were more than just obedience. They were about the promise of God. So turn to Luke 8. This is our text this morning. So you have to have that in mind when you read this story or you'll miss a significant part of what Jesus is doing, who he is, why God sent him, and what it means for us. Luke 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned... A crowd welcomed him. Remember, he went to the other side of the lake. He went to the garrisons, and then he returns. He comes back. They were all expecting him. You imagine they were waiting. They're like, he went there, but he's coming back. I wonder when he's coming back. This is crazy thing happening with this man, Jesus. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So I want you to think of probably between 500 and 1,000 people all waiting on a lakeside. Jesus gets out of a boat. He begins to walk. He encounters Jairus. Jairus tells him this story, and Jesus is like, okay, let's go. I'm going to do this for you. Imagine how the crowds would just begin to crush around him. This is the first scene of like paparazzi in the world. Like, I mean, they're literally crushing in on him to the point where he could barely walk. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. The other gospels actually go so far as to say she spent every dime she had looking for a remedy to this condition that 
she went to every single kind of healer you could find. Probably, who knows the depths that she went to to try to find healing and couldn't find it. So this woman has this condition. We don't know exactly what it was, but it's, it's likely it was a hemorrhage of blood that probably was not nonstop, but it was constant enough um, that it was a condition that literally paralyzed her life. And it's fascinating because what we encounter here in this issue is not just a physical issue that needs healing, it's actually a religious issue for her, if you know the Old Testament again. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament because we need to understand what her life was like and what this condition did to her to understand what Jesus does for her next. So Leviticus 15, if you've got your Bible open still, Leviticus 15, back to the Old Testament. Come on, this is like Sunday school. Raise your hand when you get it. Whoever's first, you get a prize. I'm just joking. Just kidding. Leviticus 15, verse 19. And this, again, is is just a fascinating thing, right? Because this is the way the Bible works, is it works in the real world with real words that you probably have not heard very often in church. So I just want you to know I'm reading the Bible here. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean, and anything she sits on will be unclean. Whoever touches her bed must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean till evening. Whoever touches anything she sits on must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean till evening. Whether it is the bed or anything she was sitting on, when anyone touches it, he will be unclean till evening. If a man lies with her and her monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days, and any bed he lies on now will be unclean. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, even if it's 12 years. As is her bed during her monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Whoever touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean till evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that, she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must take two doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So listen to this. Even if it stops and you think it stopped forever, you have to go and buy things so that you can worship. Remember, she spent all her money on doctors. So even if she got to a moment where that bleeding stopped for eight days and she was able to do all the things to get herself clean, to prepare herself to go and meet God and be in worship, she couldn't afford the sacrifice. She spent everything she had. The priest is to sacrifice one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanness of her discharge. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so that they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. So before we charge God with something that we don't understand, you have to understand what's happening in Israel at this time, that God says, I'm going to dwell among you, and the place I dwell is so holy, nothing unclean can approach me. Right? So this isn't about God trying to shame his people. It's about God trying to make sure they understand how set apart, holy, different he is from any other thing, from any other being. Now, the results of this, right, are... are, tough to, to swallow, right? We're like, oh, like, what does this mean? 
Who is this God? And yet, God has provided a way for people who have become unclean to come to him. But this poor woman, right? It's different. She's been suffering for 12 years, and her suffering isn't just the brutal nature of having a medical condition. I don't know how many of you know someone or yourself have had an ongoing medical condition, but it can be debilitating. The mental, psychological, physical struggle of having a condition that you don't have an answer for and you can't get to the bottom of is just probably one of the worst things human beings can experience. And that's what we experience with modern medicine. Can you imagine being in the first century doing this? But she's not just suffering from this issue of bleeding. She's also suffering not just from being unclean, but being perpetually unclean. This constant cycle of uncleanness that never gets resolved. And just when you thought maybe you were good, it happens again. And you start the process all over again to wash yourself, to separate yourself, to dedicate yourself. And then it happens again. And you start the cycle again to separate yourself, to wash yourself, to dedicate yourself. And then you just are in a cycle. Does it sound familiar? Has anybody been in this cycle in your own life when you have impurity and uncleanness in you and what you do is you try to get away from it and you try to wash yourself and you try to dedicate yourself and then you end up in it back again and then you just are like, man, it's been years and I've been in the same dance with my uncleanness, with my impurity, with the things that beset me and I can't get out. No one would want to get near her or anything she, she touched. It's likely if she had a husband, he divorced her. In the rabbinic writings of this time, some rabbis believe you could divorce your wife if she'd burned your food. Can you imagine what you would do with a wife that was perpetually unclean that you couldn't get near? Imagine what would happen to her. She would be a pariah in the purest sense because not only is she unclean, everything she touches is unclean. So everyone would give her just this wide berth because they're terrified of what might happen if they got near her. She likely hadn't felt a human touch in 12 years. Imagine what that does to a person. But even more severe than that, she hadn't been able to approach God and to worship with his people, and to look at the temple, and to see, and smell, and sense the beauty of God's presence on the earth. What she was made for, ultimately, she could not get near. She's banned from the temple, banned from the synagogue, as long as she's in this condition. And and even more than that, the writings of the Bible, whether they knew it or not, they use this particular condition many times to symbolize Jerusalem, right? In Ezekiel, son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. Limitations 1.8. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and has so become unclean. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She groans and turns away. Her filthiness or her nidah or her monthly uncleanness clings to her skirt. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. And listen to this. There was none to comfort her. Can you be, imagine being this woman hearing this verse and saying, that's me. That's me. I'm unclean, and everyone has left, and there's no one to comfort me. There's no one to comfort me. 
She pursued every remedy, right? Nothing's getting better. She's living this perpetual state of un, uh, uncleanness, of hopelessness. One person mixed this. Some of the remedies, can you listen to these, was glass of wine mixed with rubber, alum and garden crocuses. I don't know what a crocus is, but uh, probably not good. A glass of wine mis- mixed with onions. These are things that you're like home remedies. You're trying everything. Anybody ever, you're like, I'll do anything it takes to get out of this. I've tried essential oils. I've tried, you know, like a steam room. I've done, I mean, the cold plunge is the big thing now. Like, I'm like, I'm into like whatever will make me feel better. I'm going to try. I'm going to go for. I mean, people will travel the world to find any glimpse, any little peak that might help them find wholeness and healing. In the midst of this, there's a murmuring and there's a stirring in the village, right? The word is getting around that Jesus has returned from the other side of the lake. And she must have missed him last time, right? She must have not known he was coming through because she didn't get, or she must have tried and couldn't get near to him last time. So can you imagine, she's like, this might be my last chance to get near to the man who heals people who delivers them, who saves them, who rescues them, who cleanses them. The man who says your sins are forgiven, you've been saved, right? Can you imagine how determined she was in that place where she's resolved not to miss a chance a second time and to risk what probably could have gotten her stoned? Had people known that she waded through a crowd of men and touched all of them and made them unclean, she's risking her life. Back to Luke 8, verse 44. It says, she came up behind him, right? And I love this, because when you read this, sometimes the authors don't explain exactly. It's like, well, he's getting crushed by all these people. She came up behind him, and you're almost like she snuck up on him, right? So you have this picture. She's like, no one's going to know or see me. But that's like, if the crowd's crushing him, how did she get to him? This lady went full on. I had this weird picture. Anybody grew up like Disney cartoons? Robin Hood, it's my favorite cartoon in history. Remember when the chicken gets the football? <laughs> the lady, and she's like, rhinos and elephants, and they're like playing the thing, and she spikes it, right? I'm like, think of this lady going like, I see him, nothing is stopping me. And she buries her head, and she fights and scratches and claws to get near Jesus. That's what faith is. Faith is not sitting around hoping that God does something. Faith is fighting and scratching and clawing to get and stay near to God. Even if it costs you your life, you're like, I will not let go of this thought, this idea, this belief that God could show up. He could intervene. So she fights through this crowd. She doesn't wait around. I was thinking if there's like a movie of this scene, the, 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 the song in the background would be like, move, get out the way, get out. It's like, she's like, I just, I want you to like, sometimes when we have problems, we get paralyzed. And she was just like, guess what? I am not standing still. Like I'm going to move after him. I'm going to change something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to build a new habit. I'm going to sell something. I'm going to buy something. I'm going to get new friends. I'm going to get rid of old friends. I don't care what it is. I'm moving toward him. And then it says that she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Remember that? What did she touch? (laughs) 
the edge, the corner of his garment. She grabbed on to this thing. And isn't it weird? Everybody else was trying to touch Jesus' physical body. They just wanted to get close to him. And yet, she grabs the corner of his garment. Why did she do that? What is she doing there? This is really fascinating. Because it says uh, in Matthew that she says in her mind, if only I could touch his cloak, I will be healed. Why did she believe that? Now, I want you to think about this lady who's grown up in this Jewish culture where the only thing they would talk about is the Torah. The only thing they would care about is Israel and, and their God and what he's doing, what he's done, what he's going to do. So she's been memorizing scripture for her whole life. And more than that, it's very likely she would have latched on to every single scripture that talked about healing. Anybody done that? Like, whatever you need from God, you're like in the Bible, in the references. Now we have Google, so you're just like, scriptures about healing, right? And you're just like, you're like, okay, that's my thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these. I'm going to know these. So she's all over these things. It's highly likely she would have understood the passages about the Messiah being a healer. By his wounds we are healed, Isaiah, right? By his stripes. She would have known these things. But I think the one she held on to most that led her to do this is out of Malachi verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. It says this, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Healing. Same word. Wings. Healing. Wings. Kanaf. All the Jews of this period believed when the Messiah arrived, he would have healing in his wings. There's a promise in the thing that she grabbed onto. She wasn't just grabbing for the edge of his garment. She was taking hold of something more important. And it says later on in Matthew, it says, People brought all their sick to him and begged him to just let them touch the edge of his cloak. Her story began to spread and confirmed the promise that other people then started to take hold of Jesus' cloak of the edge, the tassels. In the story, Jesus says, who touched me? He asks, right? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd is pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know the power has gone out for me. There's a substance in Jesus that he knows when it flows out of him. He notices when his power is tapped into. It's not an impersonal power. It's a personal power he's aware of. And this is so fascinating. Jesus feels the power lead him, leave him. He looks around the crowd, right? He's like, who touched me? And Peter's like, Peter's always the first to talk. Have you noticed this? <laughs> Any other Peters in here? Dang, why did I say anything? It's so dumb. And now they recorded it forever. You know, you read the gospel like, oh, that have written some better stories. There were so many good ones about me. Um, but Peter's like, Jesus, this is preposterous. Everyone's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? But Jesus says, no, who touched me? And there's more in this question than meets the eyes, right? Because what did she touch? She touched the corner of his garment. So Jesus isn't talking about a physical touch. He's talking about something else here, which begs the question, what did the woman actually touch? He says, she touched me. He didn't say she touched my kanaf. Who touched my kanaf? That's what he would have said if he would have been talking about his garment. He would have said, who touched my kanaf? Instead he said, who touched me? Guys, this is, this, this is revolutionary right here, what God's doing. 
It wasn't his garment that healed her. I think that when this woman stretched out in faith to take hold of the promise of God, she reached her hand from this realm into the other, and she touched Jesus' supernatural presence. I don't even know what that means, really. <laughs> but remember when he told the guy to stretch out his hand? I had this thought this week. Maybe he's like, the man had a withered hand. He said, stretch out your hand. And I had this thought after I was thinking about this. What if when that man stretched out his hand, his hand left this realm and entered the supernatural one, and it became as it would be forever in eternity? And he pulled it back and was like, whoa. Jesus says, who touched me? She touched his presence, the supernatural presence of Jesus. Through her faith, her hand reached through this realm into that realm and accessed the presence of Jesus, which released the power of Jesus. Now she realizes she can't hide. Jesus is like, who touched me? She's, she's, she's like, I'm found out. I'm going to have to come forward. So she comes and falls at his feet, and she tells her story. Why? Listen to this. She says, why I touched you? Guarantees she's like, I touched you because there's a promise in your word that there's healing in your wings. And then she talked about how the bleeding immediately stopped. And Jesus, what does he call her? I love this. He calls her daughter. She goes from the furthest distance you can be from God to the closest thing you can be to a father. Isn't that amazing? In a moment... She goes from being a pariah to being a daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well, has saved you, has cleansed you. Go in peace, but really the real world, uh, word for peace in Hebrew is shalom, which is go in wholeness. I've made you whole. You're clean. You're free. You're delivered. Walk in the beauty of that. You touched me. And it's changed everything. So what does this story mean overall for all of us today? Here's in my mind, uh, summed up. When faith takes hold of the promise of God, it gives us access to the presence of God, which releases the power of God. So here's just a little equation. Promise plus presence equals power. Promise plus presence equals power. You claim the promise of God for your life. And when you do that and you stand holding the promises of God, you begin to have access to his presence because he is beholden to his promises. Let me, let me tell you this. If God's made a promise, he doesn't lie. He says, my word will never return void. It produces what I say it produces. So if you have a promise, you can hold God to it. You can hold him to his promises. And the book of Psalms is basically a bunch of people holding God to his promises. Through complaint, through anger, through celebration, through everything just being, God, you promised this. So I'm sure this lady left her house that day. In her, like, in her mouth was like Malachi 4.2, Malachi 4.2, Malachi 4.2, Malachi 4. Jesus walking down the road going, this promise is for me. Peter says, this promise is for you and your children. This Jesus, the Messiah, he's for you. Malachi 4.2, Malachi 4.2. So the question is, do you have your promise? Do you have your promise that God's given you? For your life, which you're like, this is mine. I'm the one. 
I'm going to be the one who gets healed. I, I don't care what anybody else says or anybody else thinks. I am going to take hold of this promise and I will die clutching to it. God's promise for my life. Do you want to hear mine? Here's God's promise for my life. 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and perishable, and we will be changed. That's a promise. We will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable shall be clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying is written, will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God gave me that promise in a hospital room in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, 15 years ago. And I have never let it go. Your labor in me, Jonathan, is not in vain. Do not be moved. Hold on to my promise, and I will be with you. And friends, that promise is true in my life. My labor has not been in vain. 25 years of ministry has not been in vain. What we're experiencing here is not in vain. What you're walking through is not in vain. Don't be moved. Find a promise of God. I'm going to invite the band back up. So I've got three ways we can respond this morning. One is just the story of the woman with healing and uncleanness and this struggle. I just want you to know if you need healing here this morning, you can cling to God's promise. I can't guarantee you be healed, but I know this. God shows up so many times through his promise and people who are willing to fight and scratch and claw to get near him. And many times fighting and scratching and clawing looks like standing up in this pew and walking down front and getting prayer. How much courage that takes. But guess what? God rewards the boldness, the courage to pursue. He's like, don't sit still. Come after me. Come with me. Come toward me. And whether that's a sin pattern that you've been unable to conquer and whether it's something that you did far in your past that's brought a sense of shame or something that was done to you that you cannot get over, God says, this morning, I don't want you to take hold of me. Because you've been washing and purifying yourself for years over and over and over again. And Christianity has felt like the scaffolding to you. You're like, I go over and under and around and over and under and around. I climb, I do all this stuff trying to, trying to fix myself. And I, at the end of it, every time I end up right back where I started. And Jesus is just saying, stop doing that and do it my way. You don't clean up to come to God. You come to God and you get a grace shower. <laughs> you get washed in the blood of the Lamb. His grace falls over you and you just stand and receive it. So today, I love this verse in Hebrews, you've come to the right place, right? Because you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I don't know if you know this, but we have people who actually see this in our church. We have people who see angels every time we worship, and it's amazing. I wish I had that sight. God, let me see angels, please. Not yet. But listen, like, they're here, and they're worshiping joyfully. 
over the, the, the roof of this sanctuary. You've come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written. Every single person here who calls Jesus Lord, your name is written in heaven. You have a heavenly citizenship. You have an inheritance. You have something waiting for you that is beyond your conception. You've come to God, the judge of all men, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. Will you let Jesus speak a better word over your life tonight, this morning? Better than effort, better than striving, better than trying harder. Let him speak. Let his presence wash over you. I love this. In um, Isaiah 64, he says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This speaks to the gentleness of Jesus, that people who come to him bruised do not get bruised more. They don't get beat up. They don't get guilt. They get grace. The smoldering wick of faith Jesus breathes on burst back into flame. And you might be here this morning and you're like, I have a smoldering wick of faith this morning. And I've literally been doing this because I'm scared to death that that wick will go out and I don't know what I'll do if it goes out. And Jesus is like, would you just take your hands off of it and let me breathe on it this morning? There's another part. So that's the healing, uncleanness, impurity. Anything in your life, you're just like, I gotta lay down, I gotta get rid of, I gotta get clean, I gotta get healed. Jesus can do that. The second one is for those of us in this in our midst who have been like, we've been in church our whole life, we've been mostly good. I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you have been mostly good? You're like, I, I've been mostly good. <laughs> fell off the wagon. I never went full prodigal. Listen to what the Bible says about us. Isaiah 64 again. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That word is the same word for the woman's uncleanness. Your best day to Jesus is still something he has to purify before it gets to him. That's not to cause guilt or to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. We don't, we don't do that. No, that's to cause gratitude to say, I come to Jesus knowing I bring nothing and he gives me everything. I come with praise, thanksgiving. The church should be full of grateful, joyful, worshiping people whose pride and ego has been crushed by the weight of the sacrifice of Jesus to gain you heaven. Every single one of you costs the same thing. The price is the same, whether you're the worst sinner or the best person who ever lived other than Jesus. Number two to Jesus, he died on the cross for that person. So they could go to heaven too. This should be our response. The same as the woman, she falls on her face at Jesus' feet. And then the last one is for those two groups of people. Can I tell you what Jesus offers you on the other side of this? This is so cool. Zechariah 8.23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days. What are those days? Those days are these days. I love that. Those, anytime you read in the Old Testament, those days are these days. And the days where Jesus has come, died on the cross, raised again, sent the Holy Spirit. We're living in these days. Men from all languages. Ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. 
So what happens after you get healed, saved, delivered, rescued by Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes you with his power and presence, you become a carrier of the presence of Jesus. You can live in such a way that Jesus is so real that other people can come and take hold of the edge of your life and get healed. You may say, like, that's weird. What does it say in the Bible? John 20 says, forgive any sins and they will be forgiven. He sends the disciples out with the authority to forgive sins, to actually cleanse and free people from death. And we see it in the book of Acts, right? They say Peter would pray over a napkin and uh, an anointed and send it out and people would get healed. Peter and John are walking down the street. Their shadow falls on somebody and that person gets healed. You can be in a coffee shop reading your Bible and somebody's like, walk up and like, man, I felt something weird. I don't know what it is, but I need to talk to you. And you're like, I can tell you what it is. It's the presence of a God who loves you so much. He's reaching out to you. I'm just a carrier. I'm just a portal. I'm just a funnel, a vessel of the presence of God who wants to dwell on earth with people. You can walk through the world so deeply dwelling in the presence of Jesus that others can get healed. And it's almost like you can live with one arm stretched right through this realm into the other, having taken hold of him and one other arm reaching out to human beings and saying, take hold of me. Anybody grow up on a farm where you would be like electric fence, you'd all grab hands, right? What happens when you get it? That thing flows through you and hits every single person. It's the most awesome thing. Try it. See you one today. Go try it. I promise it'll wake you up. You'll be so alive. And you'll be like, that's what it's like. Let's all hold hands. And guess what? I'm going to stretch out and I'm going to grab hold of God. And his presence is going to flow through me into you. And the things you've always longed, wished, dreamed for. Whew, God's real. He's real. And he dwells on earth in his and all the things are there. So here's the last thing. If she actually reached through and grabbed hold of Jesus' supernatural presence, she didn't grab his physical body, that means that even though Jesus isn't here in physical form, you can reach out today and grab hold of him. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is as available today as he was to her that day in physical form. He's available to you. Will you stand to your feet? Watch your heads. I want to pray for us. Our prayer team's going to come down. If you need prayer for healing, you need prayer uh, against wounds, lies, addictions, anything going on in your life, we want to pray for you. We want to pray prayers of faith. Amen. So prayer team, come down. We'll spread out on the sides. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We worship you. We acknowledge and exclaim today that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, that there is healing in your wings, Jesus, and we desire today to take hold of you, your actual supernatural presence. We want to touch you. We want to see you. We want to know you. We want to be people of presence, just like Moses. We want to be those people who dwell in a place that people can get near to us and so they can know you. So I pray right now for anyone in this room who needs physical healing, God, would you stretch out your mighty hand? There's nothing too hard for you. All things are possible to those who believe. Would you stretch out your mighty hand and do signs and wonders in our midst for your glory? God, I pray if there's anyone here who has been beset by shame, 
either by something they've done or something that has been done to them, I pray today that they would reach out and take hold of you and your cleansing, healing power would flow over their life. It would immerse them, God, in your grace and they would be know, they would know in their heart they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That word that was spoken over them by the devil has been, has been replaced by your word over their life. You say you're clean because of the word I've spoken over you. John 15, we claim that right now in faith. For every person in this room, we are clean because of the word you spoke over us. So God, would you seal by your spirit this morning this reality for us? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So friends, if you need prayer for anything, it doesn't have to be something big. Be like this lady. Say, I'm not going to leave this room until I take a chance on God. Right? I'm going to fight towards him. Amen? So let's sing.